This podcast includes unapologetic logic and reason and may not be suitable for all audiences. In a world full of nonsense, he's been called the voice of uncommon common sense. He sees the abnormal that many find normal. Author and award-winning speaker, he is Chris Welcome back to the podcast. Here we are for a big Thursday. Lots and lots to talk about. I feel like I've had the same opening forever here. Welcome back to the podcast. Lots to talk about today. Uh, I've been, to tell you the truth, a little out of the loop on the news, kind of by design, kind of by default. Just a lot of balls in the air over here right now. And this doggone computer issue has really got me messed up. But we're going to get through it. We're getting it done. That's all that really matters. Just, uh, you know, made things a little crazy here on my end as we're now one computer down. I'll tell you that the issue, rather than reconnecting everything back with the, with the second computer, I just say, you know what, I'm just going to wait for the replacement to come in. So I'm working off of one machine and it, creating a lot of havoc, believe it or not. Now I realize why I have two down here. And I'm looking forward to the upgrade because at that point, uh, we're going to go back to like a high-speed, low-drag operation. In the meantime, eh, things are a little sticky. What do you want to do? Either way, I, I was kind of focused a little bit differently and not so much on the current events stuff. And i got to be right up front with you. It, it, it just I needed a mental break from it. You know, there's only so much of the, the nonsense that anybody can put up with, really. And you just start to feel like you're talking in circles and you're going in circles with – uh, the, the people that, that are involved in our government. And, you know, it's really funny. I'll give you a little analogy. Uh, if you could just envision, you know, trying to get people to cooperate, right? And you say, well, you know, why is it so hard for people to cooperate? You know, for the, for, for the common good. It's funny. You, you hear that, that term, right? It's become vilified because they, uh, what did I say? Uh, uh, Oh, you know, tricked us with it with COVID, right? Tried to trick us with it. They're like, oh, we're going to wear the mask for the common good. We're going to vaccinate for the common good. Now, everybody, nobody wants to talk about the common good anymore. Just worked very effectively at making everybody a little bit more selfish. But if you want to see what I'm talking about, about people's inability to cooperate, just look at how people get in line for things or look at the way people drive. You know, I'll give you, I'll give you a little example. I'm coming up the highway yesterday morning. And I'm in the left lane, and a uh, dude in front of me is doing 55. 55, 55. I'm like, maybe he'll move over. Maybe it doesn't move over. I go to pass the dude. He starts doing 70. So I don't overreact. I'm like, 70, 70. I'm like, this is just uncomfortable driving right next to this dude, like lined up. I'm like, what, what's the deal here? And so I, I sped up, and uh, I got in front of him. Now, he was doing 55 before I came on the scene. He was comfortable rolling along at 55. This just paints a real psychological picture for you in terms of people's selfishness, that people are this petty. Automatically, I guarantee you the dude didn't even think about it. He's driving 55 miles an hour. I come up behind him. He's not going to move over. Why should he move over? He's doing the speed limit. I'm the one that's going to go over the speed limit, right? Not that I normally do that, you know, but maybe a mile or two over the speed limit. He's doing 51, not going to move. No problem, man. There's a whole open lane to the right. There wasn't a lot of traffic. This wasn't an aggressive move. I slide over to go. All of a sudden, he's going to start going faster. I've seen this happen a million times. I guarantee it's just automatic. Oh, somebody's passing me. I better speed up. 
So if I, you know, I didn't get. I was like, I, I wanted to do like sixty-five, right? Not seventy-five. He was doing fifty-five. I just wanted to do sixty-five. If I was doing sixty-five in the left lane, this dude rolled up behind me. I would have moved over to the right lane. I probably wouldn't have stayed in the left lane in the first doggone place because I have this thing called courtesy, right? Respect for other people, kind of thing. But most people don't. So now I'm next to him, and it wasn't like he sped up like he was racing sped up, right? This is like two old people doing this, all right? It's not like we're in sports cars, all right? And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm doing like 65, 70, and I'm like, this dude. So finally I just like step on the gas. I hit 80. You know, I'm, I'm a couple hundred yards in front of him, and uh, I got to bump over to the left lane uh, to, to pass somebody in the right lane, right? And no big deal either. And I'm in the left lane, so I just, I just settle down to 65. Guess who comes ripping up behind me? <laughs> Mr. 55. And I actually had to stay in the left lane coming up because I had to, you know, be on the left side to where we were arriving at. And don't you know, we get down towards the end and this dude tries to, to, to cut in front of me in the left lane. And I'm just like, what what is the deal, dude? Like... You weren't concerned with it's just, it's just the idea of somebody being in front of them is a problem. And I know you know what I'm talking about because we've all seen this on the road a million times. You're going to say to me, why can't people cooperate? Well, anyway, it's just I get tired of it. I really do. Like, I don't think in those terms. I get overly aggravated by this nonsense. You know, if I was smart, I would just, you know, put it at 50 and drive in the right lane and save my mental health and probably get there just as fast anyway. But, you know, to look at politics and say, oh, you know, know, why can't the political parties work together? Ain't never going to happen, man. It's just not. It's a competitive process. It's a selfish process. And this is the evils of government. And at its core, why it needs to be kept to an absolute minimum size. Because people just cannot cooperate at scale. You'd be lucky to get cooperation with two people. Look how difficult it is just to cooperate with your spouse, right? Anyway, I get a lot tired of the news, but of course I got to stay on top of things. And I start looking at the headlines. I'm going to get into a couple of current events here. It's stuff that just popped up today. Maybe you're a little ahead of it than me. Uh, This issue uh, of a convention of the states has made the national news here. uh, you, I'm sure you've heard what's going on in Russia, uh, Putin uh, declaring a, a state of emergency. I'll get you the details here in a second, a, a state of war or something like that. So he's clearly escalating things. How else do you read that? Um, this is more of a common interest thing, how sunlight could turn seawater sea into fresh water for coastal cities. Uh, I, I remember some, some dude with a podcast threw this out there. Lake Mead and Lake Power about to dry up, and and now you know millions of people about to run away. Now they're like, hey, <laughs> maybe we ought to do something. Yeah, that's cooperation at its best. And uh, more than sixty percent of Republicans want the United States to be declared a Christian nation. Coming out in in, in the mainstream media saying that um, with a picture of Trump holding his Bible next to a church, then you know they meant that to be inflammatory. You know, all, all the little anti-Christians, and there's lots of reasons. Christians don't like Christians, and some of them for good reasons. And then this shift in strategy of the Democrats. So they're not comfortable with their, their, their margins at all. 
So there's a lot of chaos. I'm going to go into all that. I want to talk about how the price of wheat has gone up. I got some information from Dan, and I'm going to give you the exact numbers on that. It's crazy what's going on. We need good leadership like no other in this country. We need a fighter. And that's why we need Trump back. And I want to tell you something. And I I think this is going to explain to you why Trump is so misunderstood. Uh, You know, why he has people that hate him. And, And it has to go back to his developer background, his real estate background. Maybe you've heard me talk before. It's an area that I worked in as well for quite a few years. It's amazing looking back. It was like my life for a long time. And, uh, and I moved on to something else, and uh, you know I'm, I may make another move at some point. My, that's just kind of the kind of the person I am as your life changed. But either way, I know a little bit about how the real estate development, particularly. I'm not talking about you know your uh, your local real estate office. I'm not talking about your local friend that owns a, a triplex. I'm talking about you know larger scale real estate development, building roads, building. You know, many, uh, you know, dwelling units, you know, high production environment. And it's a little different world. And, you know, Trump was building really big stuff, you know, massive projects that he was dealing with, big numbers, big financing. And, uh, you know, people don't understand this world. But I'm going to tell you, when you're a developer, you're, it's like an all-out assault. You know, you've got developers have deep pockets. They're coming in with a, a big bankroll, big wad of cash. And, and everybody's got their hand out trying to get in on it. Everybody's trying to make a little money. You can't blame them for that. And some people are going to step to nefarious activities. You know, as a developer, you're always in, in a lawsuit with a customer because you'll have somebody that buys a house or a building or a property. And believe it or not, uh, just like you have unscrupulous builders out there, you have unscrupulous clients. And they say, well, you know, the, whatever, the paint of glass has a crack in it, and I'm not going to pay a million dollars or something like that. And then you've got vendors that come in and, and don't finish the work or don't do the work properly or there's some kind of a dispute based on what's in their contract. And maybe they don't like it after the fact, but they're not getting paid until it's worked out. And you constantly have lawsuits going on on both ends. And then if that's not enough, you're, you're suing and fighting with the regulatory agencies up and down. Right? And you either fight it out, duke it out, and, and press ahead uh, or you're going to get swallowed, really. It's just the, the local authorities will beat you up. This is a little story I like to tell just to give you an idea of how hostile it can be. We had a, a commercial property as part of our portfolio. It's a big property, mixed-use, warehousing, uh, office space, manufacturing, all on one property. Behind the building was a parking lot. Adjacent to that parking lot was a row of homes. And it, the row of homes was kind of oddly located. But either way... These people bought these homes. They had no on-street parking and no off-street parking. It was really crazy that this was built this way. Uh, but basically, there was no place for the cars for these properties. They had to be like go you know, a couple blocks away just to park. Horrible, right? And so we were never asked, never granted any permission, but we would just allow them to park in our, in our lot because it seemed like the right thing to do. And there was headaches with it. You know, we'd have to plow around their cars because they didn't move them sometimes. And, you know, you'd have some yin-yang changing the tires in our parking lot and decide that the old ones were going to end up in our dumpster. And, uh, you know, from time to time, we'd have to post signs and things like that. But they would just take it, all right? And we'd let them do it. You know, we were trying to be good neighbors and do the right thing. And so, lo and behold, 
we had to go for a, a zoning hearing application. And um, in this particular case, it was called a special exception. So we're not required to pr- have the full burden of proof. So we basically, uh, in this case, uh, it was a welding fabricator that wanted to come in. And under the zoning code, that particular use was allowed, but you had to go to the board for approval. You're going to check to make sure it's not going to be too noisy, too smelly, too loud for the neighbors. It's the, to protect everybody and keep the peace and harmony within the community. This is what zoning laws are about. But in terms of a special exception, it's really a, a very easy process. Well, we go in front of the board, we make our case, and everything seems to be smooth sailing. Right up until a group of neighbors showed up, the very neighbors out back. Now, we had neighbors on, on uh, one, two, all four sides, now that I think about it. So they were one, one of you know, the smallest group of neighbors, but they showed up, three or four of them, they wanted to oppose the project. They said that they were concerned about noise and this and that. And I'm listening to all this, and I'm thinking, this is unreal. We've been giving these people parking, and this is what they do. And uh, finally, the board president was a sharp guy, and we had done really well with this board. And this old lady gets up, and uh, she wasn't little, so I won't say little old lady. But this old lady gets up, and she says, uh, you know, very uh, lacking in, in any kind of eloquence or professionalism, but it was very effective, right? And she says, uh, if, if they start filling up this building, where am I going to park? And what about lighting and cameras and security? We got more people coming and going. And I'm listening to all this, and I'm thinking, this is unbelievable. This old lady, if I cut her off from parking, she's going to have a real problem going forward, right? So I get up. Now, it's my turn to respond to this. I got my lawyer there. Uh, my son was in the audience. It was phenomenal. I like him to see this thing. And I said, I just want to make clear what you're talking about here. Can you show us on the plan where it is that you park? And she points to our property. And I said, you do realize that you're parking on our property. And I shared with the board what I just shared with you, you know, with a little bit more detail and a little bit more eloquence. You do understand, man, we don't have to let you park there. And if you're letting, telling me that it's a problem to have our tenants park there, as well as you, then I'm going to make the decision that you're not going to be able to park there anymore. I think we could work something out. Well, we didn't. We didn't work it out. And the board denied our application. We lost the tenant. Uh, I believe at the time it was about a uh, $60,000 a year lease that we that we lost out on. And if you know anything about commercial investments, uh, you know back then, uh, it's different now, 10 cap would have been, you're talking about a half a million dollars in value that just got wiped off of our property, to put that in simple terms. You take away that kind of income, and it affects the value of the property. That this selfish old wretch couldn't see the forest through the trees to see that I was being nice and helpful. Wasn't enough. Wasn't enough. I walked up to her after the hearing. I made sure everybody could hear me. I put my finger in her face. I said, you make sure that car of yours is gone by tomorrow. I'll have it towed. And everybody said, oh, the big bad wolf. The big bad wolf. My son's sitting there, right? Listen, I got a family to provide for. I've got business partners, lenders, uh, plenty of people involved in this that I'm responsible for. And this selfish wretch is going to sit there after I let her park on my property all that time and do that to me? And it happens every damn day. If you're a developer, you know exactly what I'm talking about. After my experience there, I would tell you, I've cautioned developers, be very careful. You buy a commercial property abutting residential because you're going to have problems. With it. It's just a fact of the matter. 
So, uh, you know, and you have people say, you yelled at a little old lady. You're damn right I did. She just cost me a half a million dollars after I tried to be nice, after I helped her for all those years. And I'm not supposed to get upset about that? I'm not allowed to defend myself? Who do I sound like right now? Trump, right? You say, oh, is everything about money? No, everything's not about money. I never said that. But there is a certain point where we worked, we had rights, and we could have appealed it. What, what would that have amounted? And the tenant really wasn't. It's not really the point. It cost us a lot of money. I don't care if she's 110. Lady, evil. Uh, honest to God, I'd be happy when, when, when trash like that dies. It's actually better for the country. It really is. I, 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 and I know that I probably sound like a, a venomous fool right now. But it's just, I don't believe that these people are godly. I don't believe that they're good. Are you going to tell me that that was too complicated to understand? Oh, I'm standing there saying, I'll work something out with you. I'm not going to leave you. And it wasn't enough. Wasn't enough. So, you're going to be a developer? You better learn how to fight the fight. Those fights can come from all different sources. And, you know, if you don't know that whole thing, would somebody tell the story or just show you a little video of me yelling at that? Look at this monster. Who behaves like that? A misogynist, age discriminator. Oh, yeah? Why don't you tell the whole story? I believe now more than ever that we better get some fighters lined up, people that know how to, how to fight, stay focused on the goal, and, and, and clear these paths. Because you got people, look at this settlement with the, with the train, 24% increase. Do you realize what that, that, that's doing? What does that say to all the police across the country that just got 3 4 5%? Oh, the guy on the train's worth more than you. What does it say about all the management level employees that aren't getting anything? I just saw um, uh, down here locally, they're going to buy the state legislature. In other words, it's a bailout of the teacher's pension. Not enough money in, the, in, in a certain teacher's pension down here. And this is an affluent area, believe me. They're living nicely. There hasn't been any COLA increases on that pension. The money apparently is, and the state's going to bail it out. In other words, the taxpayers are going to, not only did they pay the teachers, now they continue to pay them even though they aren't p- teaching anymore. That wasn't the deal. You don't go to work for a private employer, get to age 65, and go, you know, it's not enough. You're going to need a few more. What are we doing? It's just everything's become a fight, the selfishness. I don't know. This is why we need Trump. We need him back. We need a fighter. And his developer background is ideal for it. And I believe that that attitude and that approach that most people can't fathom, can't even understand. Uh, you know, I'm, I've talked to plenty of property. and I can't believe you did that. Weren't you afraid to upset the neighbors? No, no, I wasn't afraid to upset the neighbors. I'm not afraid of anybody. And if they get upset, that's their problem. Oh, you never know what they're going to do. And this is how most people think. Oh, no. and I've I've looked at a, a ton of properties. I've seen this. Yeah, well, we we plow the neighbors' sidewalks and driveways. Well, why do you do that? Well, we want to keep them happy. And we don't have any problems. What do you mean you want to keep them? Happy? You're, you're pay, it's extortion. I'm going to sit here and plow everybody. No, I'm not. I'm not saying it's not nice to do something nice. We were doing the same. You know, if it doesn't cost me anything or it costs me a little bit and I can help a lot of it, I'd be willing to help out. I'm not an unreasonable guy, but don't tell me I have to. And a little thank you once in a while when I do need something, don't, don't turn around and, and stab me in the back. I could go on and on about that. The point is, unless you've lived through that and understand it, I don't know that it's really possible to fully understand the Trump mentality. 
And so I think he's largely understood it's what we need right now. It might not be what people want right now, but it's what we need right now. And I don't know if he's the perfect person or not, but he's the perfect person right now as far as I can tell. People say, I like DeSantis and Abbott. They're great guys in in many ways. Uh, I don't know about Abbott so much. But, you know, Trump, right now, he's the guy. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I wanted to mention this, too, a couple things before I get off this, uh, why we need Trump back. Trump's greatest victory. I had a thought last night. What do you think his greatest victory is? was? You know, you could say, well, getting elected. You could say the tax cuts, that was a big one. Lots of executive orders getting wiped out by Biden. You could say the work that he's done rebuilding the Republican Party. Some people would scoff. Rebuilding is destroyed the Republican Party. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. You had to tear it down to rebuild it. That's the developer mentality, too. Not afraid to do that. Clean house, bring a whole new people in. Tear it down to build it up. But what would you say Trump's greatest victory in all that? You could say the uh, um, uh, moving of the uh, um, American embassy to Jerusalem. Uh, Lots of things you could say, right? I would say to you, in my opinion, and I know this is a little deep, and quite frankly, I can't believe I'm about to say it myself, but I'm going to say it anyway. In my opinion, Trump's greatest victory was being able to appoint judges that would overturn Roe v. Wade. And I do believe, and I've talked to a lot of people about this, and I know not everybody agrees with me. I heard a number. There have been 50 million babies aborted since Roe v. Wade. And I've heard people say, oh, there's unwanted children. Thank goodness. Who's going to pay for that? You don't think we have 50 million illegal immigrants here that we're not paying for? We're paying for it. We're paying for it double. All those children, a generation, a generation wiped out, 50 million kids dead. That's an extermination. That's a genocide by any measurable standards. Going on right here under our nose. You ask yourself, how did Hitler do it? How, all, all these uh, people that hate um, uh, uh, Doug Mastriano because of his abortion stance, how do you explain that number, 50 million? Jewish people down here saying, oh, this ra- radical Christian, who wants to end all abortions. God willing, there will never be another. And I'm not a heartbeat law guy, honest to goodness. I've talked this to death. But this government funded this sinister machine that was created that was just killing babies left and right. It was wrong. And you don't have to agree with me, but you're not going to change my mind on it. I know there's a lot of people that agree with me. That the sinful nature of this country to be murdering babies indiscriminately, 50 million of them. And you're going to tell me it doesn't matter? I don't believe it. I don't believe it at all. And you want to say, uh, what kind of God allows this to happen? Well, it came to a halt. You don't think there's going to be consequences? You don't think that there are, that we're already suffering? I almost feel like maybe we're going through a period of atonement, right? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not that deeply uh, spiritual, that deeply religious to tell you. But I would say Trump's greatest victory was getting that overturned. And I've said before, I I wish there was a better solution, but this is the best solution right now. It really is. They say, oh, so many people support abortion. Trump's wrong. Really? They're so supportive of it. Then why are so many states outlawing it? And I, I haven't found one person to tell me that they're comfortable or willing to pay for other people's abortions, which is exactly what's been going on. I'll tell you this, and you're going to think I'm a nut. Some of you will think I'm a nut for saying this, and it's okay. You can think I'm a nut, but it's really what I believe, and I think you need to hear this right now. 
I think that the greatest thing Trump could do for this country right now is to come out publicly and say this is the greatest achievement of my administration that we have stopped this infant genocide or whatever you would call that. And if he would get down on one knee and say, thanks to God in the name of Jesus Christ, please let this country heal from this sin that we engage in. If Trump were to do that, now you know there were people that would scoff at it. And I think the down on one knee part is important. You know, he stood with his Bible in front of that church, and I get it, but you got to get down on a knee. You got to lower yourself. I'm just telling you, it would be mean. And you know what? There would be people. It would, it, Satan would be spewing. You would you would hear hissing from the sewers. <laughs> you would. That people would be so ah, oh, this religious crap. Do it. Just go out there and say it. Thanks to God in the name of Jesus Christ that we have stopped this heinous practice. It was wrong on every damn level. I don't care what you have to say. And I've given you my opinions on it. If something ever happened to my daughter or my wife, God forbid, I'm not perfect and I'm not so foolish and naive to think that nothing could ever happen to me. And then you say, we're going to sing a different tune now. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm telling you my position. If something, God forbid, ever happened to any member of my family, I would prefer that that decision be made here. But $50 million, that's that's not a that's not an unfortunate accident or problem. That's not health care. That's not uh, women's rights. That's not reproductive rights. It's genocide. It's evil. How many Jews were killed in the concentration camps? I think it was about 10 million. Don't quote me on that. Amazing I would remember that number. It was a lot. Maybe more. 50 million babies. 50 million of them. And you think about and you think about how powerful a statement Trump would make. How strong would it be for and you say, well, politically, I don't think it would be a good idea. I don't care. I'm done with, with what's politically best. We need to start doing what's morally right. Morally right in the eyes of God. And you can think I'm some kind of crazy radical for saying that. I've got as many questions as you do. I'm not some kind of spiritual zealot over here. I'm just looking around. I'm saying, this ain't right. This isn't right what's going on. None of it. All right, let me move on. That's Trump's greatest victory. I want to make another big point. I started to talk about this yesterday. And I need you to listen to me. And I need you to go out and talk about it. Right? Forget the politics. Forget the partisan crap. I need you to start talking to people. Listen, we need to get involved in our government. Even good Democrats, right? If we had, if we had good Democrats, we, we could work together. We need better Republicans, too, quite frankly. Don't get me started on that line. I'm on a tear right now. I told you I'm the, I'm the, uh, uh, the, the treasurer for, um, uh, for Nancy Price here running for assembly in Pennsylvania. I'm very honored to be doing this. I'm really proud of what she's doing. I'll keep talking about it, but let me just say this. As her treasurer, I had to register with the Republican Party. It's kind of crazy. I had to register with the IRS. I got to put my my Social Security number in there. And this is not comfortable for me. I'm not crazy about it. I did it because I'm going to support her. And then I had to uh, sign up for WinRed, where you can donate. It's a great platform you can donate through. Well, all this, I did all. I, I, I registered with the RNC or the state committee. I'm not sure exactly how I did that. I think I, I want to say I registered with the state committee and uh, – and then something happened. Then maybe it went to the low. I forget how it works exactly. And then and I signed up for Win Red, like all within a day or two. 
Republicans, right? Good Republic, good Christians. Well, next thing you know, my phone is getting bombed every single day with spam texts. Text after text after text, probably 10 a day from Republican campaigns. Please donate. And they're the cheesiest little, you know, oh, better hurry now. Democrats ahead. Country's going to end. And, and uh, you want me to sit here and read them to you? I call, So I reached out to Win Red because I thought, I thought they were the culprit. I took one of the three off the list. I said, uh, I, I went, reached out, you know, you know I'm, I'm logged in because I have an account on there, right? And um, I said, I want to talk to somebody. No, you can't. So I'm not happy. I said, all right, how do I get off of this spam text list? They assured me that they do not do any of that. I don't know. Anyway, my point is don't think that the Republican Party is some kind of holier-than-thou organization because you're going to be sorely disappointed. I got off point a little bit. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, Trump can't do it alone. Nobody can do it alone. We have to get involved. I've said this before. You all are out talking about, oh, the Constitution, states' rights. Listen, I want you to focus on something very simple. We the people. What does that mean? It means we the people. It means that if it's going to be a a citizen-led government, that we have to be involved. If you're not going to get involved, then there's no we. There's no we in in the people if you're not involved. Get it? Then it becomes they, the people. And that's exactly what's happened. They, the Cortex. They, the Schumer. They, the the McConnell. And all these other schmucks. Because we didn't get involved. And now we need to. Okay, and you say, look, I'm not running for office. You're not running for office. Oh, great. Listen, not everybody's going to run for office. Doesn't work that way. Watching. I'm going to go down. I just got an invitation. I got to check the name. Forgive me. I kept it. It's... uh, Running, running for uh, against uh, my state re- representative here. I've been so busy. Uh, I get the information. I'm going to go down. Uh, they're having a, a campaign fundraiser at the VFW. I'm going to go down and introduce myself to him. Maybe we'll see if we can get him on the podcast. I believe another grassroots candidate. All right, but my point is that you can go. Go to these campaign events. How do you get plugged into it? Go to the um, campaign. Look who's running and just do a search and go to the websites. And you see, you'll be able to sign up on there. They'll send you notices when they're having events. All right. You go to fill out your voter registration. Check the box on there. Make sure that you're checked to be a, a poll watcher to help out. Put signs in your yard. Donate money to the campaigns. But be careful with this. All right. I, I made this recommendation. Help out the grassroots candidates. The establishment, they got enough money rolling in. Almost too much money going in. Help any way you can. Social media posts. Spreading the word. Whatever you can do. All right. But I'm telling you, we're at a pivotal point right now. We really are. Let me get into some of these headlines. I already tell that uh, I'm not going to get nearly as far as I wanted today, which is good. We'll have a little bit of material for tomorrow. So let me just share this little tidbit. And I don't want you to think that this is isolated. I'll give you quite a few examples. Let me just give it to you. Uh, Dan from Chicago sent me that. Dan uh, is a bulk buyer. He's not like your normal survival type person. He like buys stuff on like an annual cycle, which is a really cool way to do it, right? You're like, hey, I stock a, a year's worth of whatever and, you know, it's half full. <laughs> you know, you need to reorder in six months or something like that. And you pretty much know right where you're at. It's a great way to do it. And I've encouraged you to keep stock on the shelves. I just pulled a new pair of shoes off the shelf the other day. You know how nice that is? I knew. I think I bought those shoes two years ago, brand new in the box. Same, you know, it's a shoe that I wear a lot. I waited till the ones I was wearing got worn out. I said, look at that. Time for a new pair of shoes. Here we go. I didn't have to go buy them. I wasn't worried about the price. I should check to see what they cost today. 
compare the compare the price, right? But that's not even the the whole reason that I did it. I stock lots of things like that. I keep socks, pants, underwear. I have everything I need for for several years, and I do it for a lot of different reasons. I did it mainly because I saw the inflation coming. I like to have the buffer. You know, with COVID, you know, you're going to be able to get stuff. You don't know what it's going to cost. And so we had the means, we had the space, and we stocked up on everything. Dan loves his things the same way. But listen to this. And I'm going to tell you the impact of this in a second. He said his wife posted what she bought wheat for two years ago. Uh, Dan didn't say where she posted. I'm assuming on social media somewhere. He said she received many questions. Price of a 50-pound bag of wheat two years ago was $27. Today, $71 for the same bag. More than double, 250%. This is unbelievable kind of price increase in two years. And food, now you say, well, you know, for for people that uh, are at least moderately affluent, uh, it's not really a big deal, right? And so, uh, you know, food costs go up. I, I give you this much. I said to my wife, we're looking at our budget, and we don't have a lot of exposure, all right? We don't have any variable rate debt. We don't have any debt outside of our mortgage, which we're paid ahead on. Uh, so we don't have any issue with interest rates. I could care less. I'm not even paying attention to it. Uh, we don't have any car loans, no credit cards, nothing. All right, just our mortgage, which is a fixed rate. Right, we're paying that thing off as quickly as we can. We're at that stage in life, right? We're saving for retirement. We're trying to get our house paid off. Not everybody's at that point, though, right? Some people are carrying debt here and there. I don't know how the credit cards go. I'm trying to see credit cards in 27, 28, 30 percent. Much, much higher interest rates need to go. I don't know. They'll just dry up. You won't have the credit anymore. The margins won't be there. But anyway. The debt doesn't really affect us. Uh, we don't drive much, so gasoline isn't really an issue for us. And so I started looking. I said, right, what is our exposure with inflation then? Okay, food, uh, heat, and energy costs, electric, right? We're on a well. Um, we do have a, a – we are connected to a public sewer, unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess you could say, depending on your perspective of that. Probably a good thing right now, I guess, overall, but – uh, it does keep us tied to the to the grid, if you will. Uh, not that we couldn't fix that relatively easily if we had to, but uh, you know, in a in a down a grid down scenario, I don't know how the sewer would go down. It could happen, but either way, food, heat, electric those that's our exposure. And anyway, I looked at the budget and I said to my wife, I said, you know, if those prices go up ten percent, we probably wouldn't even notice. Matter of fact, they could probably go up 20%. We hardly notice. 30%, 40%. If they all went up 30%, 40%, nah, it'd start to hurt. But I said, you know, and I'm looking, I was looking at the borrowing and what was going on. You could go look at the expansion of debt yourself, which is the expansion of the money supply. And so with the expansion of the money supply, I believe comes a proportionate amount of inflation. Well, the wheat is certainly reflecting that. You can't keep printing all this money and expect this not to happen. It's just that it came all at once. It didn't come incrementally. And it really has happened. All three of those prices have doubled since I started planning. They really have. Electric, I'm not so sure. Not, not, electric has, I think our electric rates are up about 20%. And they're going to go up further. You know that. Uh, the heating oil, I do not know. I locked in for two years. We're in the second year. We're coming to the end of that. 
And I'm nervous about that. That's a big nut for us. So food is double, more than double. We're, we're spending well more than double on food. I got to tell you, the prices going out to eat are so ridiculous. I just don't see us doing much more of that in the near future. It, it just doesn't offer the value to me. And many other things. You know, I just don't see us enjoying some of these luxuries the way we did in the past. Um, on the electric end, what I've done to buffer that, I have enough solar lighting that we could light our house indefinitely with solar. And so at least we'll be able to keep the lights on. That's a good thing, I guess. We've, uh, as you know, been working on growing our own food. I'm expanding, building this cold frame greenhouse so I can stend, extend the growing season. I'm not really uh, set up right now to grow all of our own food. I never really wanted to do that. I didn't feel that it was necessary. I don't have the time and energy to do all that or the desire. And so, but I just thought, man, you know, if things get really bad, we may be happier that we have something. And we have food stores on top of all that. But, you know, sooner or later, those are going to start to run dry. you got to have the ability to get more. So, you know, electric, we buffered. Uh, food, we got a little bit of buffering in there at least. And then we get down to the heat issue. And that's one where I have a whole lot less control. Now, we have the ability to heat our house off of heat, uh, off of wood. And um, I'm gonna, I'm getting ready to put another order in for wood to keep some of that on stock. But I do not have enough trees, enough acreage here to where we could, you know, live off the trees on our property. If things got really bad, uh, we could go several years with the wood on our property if we really conserved, I guess. But it wouldn't be a fun time. And this is, it's concerning. It's very concerning. And even even beyond all the financial impact, I'm not even really worried, to tell you the truth. It's not super worried. I'm more worried about not being able to get things. Uh, but the bigger thing that I'm concerned about is the security risk that's going to come with it. Because you're going to get young people that are going to get hungry, and some of them are going to have kids, and they're going to start to do desperate things to get it. I think it's already happening. More and more of it you're going to see. And, and you can blame Biden, you can blame Trump, you can blame Bush, but the fact of the matter is this has been a failed financial system for many years. They knew this end would come. They knew since Jekyll Island that this would be the ending. Why do you think they did it in secret then? Why do you think Jekyll Island was held in secret and the wool was pulled over people's eyes? Because they would never buy into it. Nobody would buy into such a scheme. I don't know. I want to mention these stories. Are we going to do it tomorrow? I guess we're going to have to do it tomorrow. I want to talk about this uh, uh, this plan that the, supposedly the GOP has alarm over the GOP plot to drastically change the Constitution. Uh, what they're really talking about is returning to states' rights. And I find it interesting that in the mainstream media now that they're putting this out as a threat, that the GOP— what, what, Why is it that, the, um, uh, that there's no alarm over the liberal plot to change the Constitution? No alarm over that. I mean, this is the progress that we want, right? No alarm over wanting to pack the court. No alarm over wanting to basically eliminate the Second Amendment. No. Alarm over the GOP plot. Mm-hmm. No, it's what the people want. The people are revolting. We'll talk about this more tomorrow, what's going on in Russia and the water shortages out west. How unbearable has it come? I see that they're... Uh, that they're, they're telling doctors now that they, when people are going to screen them for anxiety. This is the liberal world. Everybody's so anxious and, and depressed. 
that they're going to be at the doctor all the time looking for medication just so they can get out of bed in the morning. How does this continue on? How do we sustain this? you got to ask yourself, where does it end, really? Hey, God willing, I'll be back tomorrow. I sure hope to see you there. In the meantime, make it a great day.